0: At the beginning of the Second World War, Oxford University in England considered closing down. After all, what value is education when England needed to marshal all its might as the world stood on the precipice of destruction? It was at that moment that C.S. Lewis delivered a message at the university entitled, Learning in Wartime, to address this question. He vigorously contended that good philosophy must exist if for no other reason, because bad philosophy needs to be answered. The earliest philosophers, the, the earliest followers of Jesus understood that ideas have consequences. Those disciples could not have a casual relationship with the truth because persecution often accompanied the gospel and faith became a matter of life and death so the book of Acts commends this commitment to truth when it says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. I've had the privilege of being in Berea, In northern Greece, with Paul Larson, who's here today. And as the Brian Church in Rochester, you stand in that tradition. The bad ideas in much of society need to be corrected with the good news of the gospel of Christ. And I commend you for doing that. What you are doing is of immense, eternal importance and for that reason i'm very glad to join you today let us pray o oh lord open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things in your law amen i've only been in one movie It happened when I was living in Los Angeles, and after a service, a lady came up to me and said she was making a movie on heaven, and she asked if I'd like to be in it, and I had no idea who she was. There were lots of wannabe movie makers in Los Angeles, so I assumed she was one of them, and I said, of course I'd be glad to participate, and then I immediately forgot all about it. To my surprise, several weeks later, I got a call from a studio saying they were starting to shoot the movie, and would I come along? And I asked the name of the lady. They asked in amazement, don't you know? And I assured them that I didn't. I was told her name is Diane Keaton. She won an Oscar for Annie Hall with Woody Allen. She's making her first movie entitled Heaven, and she wants you in it. So I went to the studio in Hollywood, and Diane Keaton asked me a lot of questions about heaven. And one of them was, what will we do in heaven? Now, sadly, nearly all my answers were edited out of the movie, which is why I think it bombed. (laughs) But I thought it would be a good title for our time today. So what is the answer to what will we do in heaven? Some, of course, say that we won't be doing anything in heaven because the place doesn't exist. Physicist Stephen Hawking, one of the most brilliant astrophysicists of our, of our generation, did not believe there is an afterlife. He said that heaven is a fairy story for people who fear death. And as far as he was concerned, when the brain ceases to function, that is it. And of course, Dr. Hawking was entitled to his view. But as Christians, we have a different perspective. God has given us the Bible that we might know about the life beyond this one. And Scripture tells us that heaven is filled with thrilling and fulfilling opportunities. So what will we do in heaven? Well, first, in heaven, we'll enjoy rest. The Apostle John writes, I heard a voice from heaven say, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor. Now that verse has been greatly misunderstood. People have drawn the conclusion that in heaven we'll stop working and start sitting on our lazy boy. But as we'll see in a moment, God has plenty of wonderful work for us to do in our heavenly home. Rather, the Spirit's telling us that there is an end to a particular type of labor And I believe he's talking about the end of our struggle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. For this can be exhausting for followers of Christ. But we're going to rest from that spiritual warfare in heaven. Think how marvelous this will be. We fight with the consequences of sin every day. But in heaven we'll rest from the battle with addictions and temptations and abusive relationships and all the other frustrations that make life here so hard. In heaven we'll be admitted into a perpetual Sabbath. Augustine captured the scene in the city of God when he wrote, We shall rest and we shall see. We shall see and we shall love. We shall love and we shall pray." And the promise of Jesus will be fulfilled when he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And then in heaven, we will enjoy rewards. Jesus said, Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give it to everyone according to what he's done. Bruce Milne explains this statement in this way. Our judgment will be in respect of our stewardship of the gifts, talents, opportunities, and responsibilities given in this life. It will be a fatherly judgment. And perhaps we say, but I thought that our salvation was all of grace. And of course it is. Yet we cannot ignore the biblical teaching of rewards. The New Testament identifies several types of service which will be rewarded by Christ. And these include enduring testing, martyrdom, diligently seeking God, faithfully doing God's will, evangelism, faithful stewardship, acts of kindness, and hospitality. R.T. Kendall writes, we who are saved will also be judged, not merely on the basis of whether we're saved or lost, but on the basis of our lives as Christians. For myself, I believe the greatest possible reward will be seeing Christ in all his glory, his beauty, his majesty, and his splendor. And then in heaven, we will enjoy responsibilities. In the passage we read earlier, we're told that they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple also informed that in the new heaven and earth his servants will serve him and we shouldn't be surprised at this when adam and eve were placed in the garden of eden they were given work to do and that work was pleasant and fulfilling it was only after sin entered the world that work became difficult and dull as god tells adam cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life it will produce thorns and thistles for you By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. But in the new heaven and the new earth, the curse will be removed. So there won't be difficult bosses or inadequate wages or unjust working conditions. We'll have perfect bodies and we won't get tired. However, I think it would be wrong to imagine that work in heaven will be easy. But there's no real pleasure in that. There's enormous satisfaction in taking on a big project and working through the challenges to produce a successful outcome. So our work in heaven will be wonderfully stimulating. Some of our future responsibilities will include reigning with Christ, for we're told they will reign forever and ever, referring to the saints. And this appears to mean that we'll be involved in the government of the new heaven and earth will reign over a resurrected universe centered on a resurrected earth with its capital city, the resurrected Jerusalem. And then we're going to enjoy relationships. Two old friends met. They hadn't seen each other for years. How's your wife, asked one. She's in heaven, was the reply. Oh, I'm sorry man realized that was the wrong thing to say, so he quickly added, I mean, I'm glad. And that sounded worse. So he settled for, well, I'm surprised. (laughs) And I think there's going to be a lot of surprises of who is in heaven. But we do know that the saints will be there. It'll be a huge family that no one can number. We need all of eternity. To get to know everyone. It's going to be a varied family. Every kindred, tribe and tongue will be there. Every culture under the sun. It'll be an interesting family made up of the prophets, the martyrs, the patriarchs, and the reformers. All your spiritual relatives will be there. Who would you like to talk to first? In heaven our relationships will be perfect. There's going to be no quarrels nor will we want to criticize or exclude anyone. No one will feel neglected or offended. Nothing will divide us there, for we'll all be one in Christ Jesus. So what will we do together? I think we'll play, we'll laugh, and we'll eat. Isn't that good news? I mean, we all like to eat, don't we? Let me tell you how I arrive at that conclusion. There are three bits of evidence First, we're told that from God's throne in heaven flows a crystal clear river down the center of the street and the river nourishes trees which produce a crop of fruit each month. And since fruit is to be eaten, this suggests we will spend time in the Father's house eating. Second, Jesus ate after his resurrection with his disciples. His new resurrected body presumably didn't need the nourishment, but he needed the fellowship. And then third, we're told that we'll gather at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And all this is appropriate because we use food to express our fellowship and to to build a relationship. We ask people over for dinner or we go out together for lunch. And so we'll eat in the new heaven and earth. And then the angels will be there. There'll be myriads and myriads of them. And if we've not believed in angels before we get to heaven, we certainly will when we arrive. At present, the angels are a, a bit above us, but... In heaven, we shall be a bit above them. Indeed, they'll serve us. And then the Lamb will be there. Jesus will be there. We'll see the nail prints in his hands, in his feet. Remember that Jesus has a physical body now, and he will then, and our body will be like his, for heaven is a material place. The Lord God will be there. Heaven will be a never-ending place ever-increasing discovery of more and more of God's glory with greater and greater joy in Him. The perfection of heaven is not static. We will not see all at once. All there is to see, for the finite cannot take in the infinite. And therefore, there will always be more for a finite person to know and enjoy of God. Lord Baden-Powell, the founder of the Boy Scouts, was a committed Christian, and on his tombstone there is a circle with a dot in the middle, and that is tracking language for gone home. And we can put that over every Christian's grave, for heaven is God's home, and children love coming home, especially to a father like ours. And then in heaven, we will enjoy revelation. We will grow in our knowledge of Jesus. Throughout future ages, believers will be shown the incomparable riches of his grace. Though our capacity for knowledge will be greatly increased, it will not be omniscient. We will always maintain our ability to learn. That means we will never get bored in heaven. There are many parts of divine truth we don't fully comprehend now. There are the secret things of God that we cannot know now. But one day, all these deep doctrines will be made known to us and Jesus will be our teacher. The Apostle Paul tells us, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Then there's going to be rejoicing in heaven. It's clear that Worship will be one of the central activities of heaven. Here on earth, our worship is imperfect because we're sinful people, but there it will be utterly glorious. And imagine today that instead of me here on the platform, the Lord Jesus was present. And all around this room, there were cherubim and seraphim. And as Jesus was speaking, we'd hang on his every word. We wouldn't want him to stop. We certainly wouldn't be thinking of going out to eat or what we're going to do later. In Revelation, we see a great multitude of believers before God's throne crying out, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We're going to lose ourselves in the sheer joy of expressing with our lips the adoration and love we feel for God in our hearts. It's clear that a significant part of our worship will be singing. Now, we may not be able to carry a tune now, but we're going to be able to sing wonderfully in heaven. The book of Revelation contains 14 songs. And Revelation chapter 5 records three of these songs, which are sung in turn by the angels and the church. And the songs are all Christ centered. We see this in lines like, worthy is the lamb who is slain. And that's why it's so important we're not half-hearted now. worship here. A good sing of God's praise is a foretaste of heaven. And I, I want to warmly commend you for your singing. Since I retired, Gretchen and I decided we'd visit all the Christian churches of Rochester, I've known many of the pastors in the last 32 years and I really liked them and I thought, I've never been able to go to their church and hear them, so I'm going to go. And we made a decision that a church had to subscribe to the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. So that includes Orthodox churches, Catholic churches and Protestant churches. There are over 60. We've done 43 so far. We were somewhat stopped when COVID came along. But uh, I can tell you that as we've gone around You sing gold medal quality singing. Keep it up. (laughs) It's very, very good. Some we've been to, you'd think I was at a funeral. Maybe I was. But here there's a there's a sense of the living Christ. So sing your heart out. Follow your wonderful worship band. I'm so glad that music will be an important part of heaven. A few years ago, we went to the Severance Hall in Cleveland to hear the Cleveland Symphony Orchestra. My my brother-in-law plays trombone in the orchestra, and they were playing Bruckner's Fifth Symphony. Anton Bruckner was a devout Catholic, and his faith pervades his music. He would interrupt classes to kneel and pray with his students. And in the fourth movement of that symphony, the entire orchestra are playing at top volume. It was extraordinary. I thought this is a sound appropriate for the halls of heaven. So what? So that's what we're going to be doing in heaven. Now, why does it matter that we know these things? It matters because when heaven is real to us, it makes a difference in the way we live on earth. I have a friend who's an expert hunter of morel mushrooms. And he told me how he does it. He goes out into the woods around Mother's Day and he looks up for a dead elm tree. And then he makes his way towards the tree and it's only when he's underneath the tree that he looks down. And one day I decided to try it. I went out in the woods behind our house and I looked up and I saw a dead tree and I, I walked towards it. I then looked down and there are about 20 morels that I scooped up when we had them for dinner. And there's a spiritual lesson here. If we want to find treasure on earth, we first need to look up. It's when we look up and think about heaven that it gives purpose to life now. We find treasure in all sorts of earthly activity, like our, our work and our service, and we catch a glimpse of God's glory and what is in store for us. And there's another practical benefit to focusing on heaven. With heaven in our sights, we can face death. That's important because the Bible tells us we're all going to die, and as we get older, that prospect can fill us with fear. Fear. But if we know where we're going and who's going with us, we can face death with courage. We can say with David, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. A pastor friend of mine lost his dear wife after 50 years of marriage, and he was grieving deeply, and so he went to a Bible conference to lift his spirits. And during the mealtime, he happened to be sitting with an African-American pastor. The pastor looked over and kindly said to him, Brother, he said, you look very troubled. What's the matter? My friend said, I've just lost my wife. The pastor said, Brother, if you know where she is, she ain't lost. And that's the comfort the doctrine of heaven gives us. I don't want to make light of the fear of death. Death, after all, is the last enemy. But it is a fear we should ask God to remove. Adoniram Judson was the first American Baptist missionary, and he went to Burma where he preached the gospel for many years and translated the scriptures. At the end of his life, he grew so weak that his wife Emily wanted Adoniram to understand how near death he was. And he told her, death will never take me by surprise. I feel so strong in Christ. He's not led me so tenderly thus far to forsake me at the very gate of heaven. Yet when Christ calls me home, I shall go with the gladness of a boy bounding away from his school. And that's how we can die if we're looking up to heaven. Here's something very practical. With heaven in our sights, we can plan for our death. We can prepare for our death by telling our families, openly and honestly, what our desires are when the time comes for God to take us home. Recently, I was talking to a friend, and he told me he'd already made out his will, indicating how he wants his assets distributed to his children. But then he said, I'm also writing a moral will. He said, I want them to know what's really important in my life. I'm going to leave a copy of my faith story for each of my children. Children and grandchildren, I'm going to explain that faith in Christ is far more valuable than any money they'll get from me. And I thought, what an excellent idea. A few years ago, I I planned my my funeral service. I encourage you to do the same. It isn't morbid, it's, it's very wise. It's a statement of how we want to say goodbye. It's an opportunity for us to express our faith. And I can tell you as a pastor, it's a wonderful help to your family who in the midst of their grief have the added burden of planning a funeral service. However, you may not want to do what I did, which was my children were all at college at the time. I sent them copies of my <laughs> funeral service. And they said it was a bit of a downer. My mother gave clear instructions for her funeral. We knew the hymns she wanted and the scripture readings. We knew who was to preach, which was me. We knew the poem she wanted recited by my brother Simon. It was John Donne's Death Be Not Proud. And it was so comforting to say, this is what she wanted. She outlined it. We're following it to a T. And so take some time to compose a beautiful funeral and talk to your family about it. When the time comes, they will be enormously grateful. But most important of all, we need to prepare for our death spiritually. We need to get right with God. We need to make sure that heaven is our home. At the end of Deuteronomy, Moses makes a great speech to Israel right before his death. And he says, this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. And Moses sets before us two alternative futures that face every one of us. They're life or death, they're blessings or curses, they're heaven or hell. Like Moses, I urge you to choose life that you may live. You don't need to do anything to go to hell. The sign outside a church reads, The road to hell keep straight on. The road to heaven right about turn." The choice we need to make is to choose heaven. It's to choose life. No one ever finished up in heaven by accident. People may get to hell that way because they've neglected so great a salvation, but not to heaven. So how do we choose heaven? By living a good life? No, that only gets us part of the way, and that's not enough. By trying to be religious, by joining a church or getting baptized? No, although all those things have their place. We get to heaven by trusting Jesus. By realizing he went to Hades that we might go to heaven. By acknowledging that he was cursed that we might be blessed. That he died that we might live. See a person may go to heaven without health, without wealth, without fame, without a great name, without learning, without a job, without culture, without beauty, without friends, without ten thousand other things. But we can never go to heaven without Christ. I pray that every one of us here will be in heaven one day because we have put our trust in Christ. Augustine, great church father, said, all our activity in heaven will be amen and hallelujah. And Revelation proves him correct. Revelation 19, a great hymn of praise goes up to God The 24 elders are shouting, Amen! And the great multitude are roaring, Hallelujah! And so I thought it would be fun if we experienced a little bit of heaven this morning. Let's practice for the time when we're going to be there. Now my left side, this section over here, you are all the elders. And you're saying, Amen. And my right side, this here and over there, you are the saints and the angels. Whether you look you're angelic, that's who you are. You're the saint and you're shouting hallelujah. So that's amen and this is hallelujah. And I'm going to raise my hand when I want you to say it, so we're going to practice it. So, amen, amen. hallelujah. Brilliant. Okay, I thought that would take longer. So this is what <laughs> happens. This is what happens when we get to heaven. It could be quite soon. I'm going to say the song that we'll be singing and you are going to be the elders and the saints and the angels salvation belongs to our God Amen. who sits on the throne Amen. and to the lamb Amen. praise and glory Wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength Amen. be to our God forever and ever. Amen. We'll do it there.